Would you say a prayer with me before we look at the Christmas story together? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're so thankful to be in this school. Uh, we pray each and every week that you would bless Sheridan School, the teachers, the administrators, and the students that spend their days and weeks here. We pray for every child that comes in the door, God. We know that you love them and have uh, a brilliant future in mind for them. pray that they would feel that concern and love that you have for them while they're present in this building. And we're grateful that you've created this space for us to worship on Christmas Eve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome one more time to Mill City Church and Merry Christmas. My name's Michael. If we haven't met, I'd love to say hello before you leave today. We're glad that you've joined us just to celebrate Jesus' birthday. It was just a couple of days ago that my daughter, Michaela, asked me the question. Maybe you, some of your parents have been asked this question. She said, well, we're celebrating Jesus' birthday. How old is he going to be? Parents, have you got that one yet? Raise your hand if you've got that one. You can maybe coach me on this. Because it took me back for me. I was like, oh, um, it wasn't on the tip of my tongue. It's actually a harder question than you might think, right? <laughs> and then it dawned on me to say, well, you know, the calendar, uh, give or take, the years of the calendar, so 2015, are roughly about when Jesus was born. So if you don't know how many years Jesus is going to turn, you can just look at the years and and add one. I'm just making it up right as I go along. So I say he's going to be, you know, he's going to be 2,016 years old, sort of. Uh, and, and Michaela, I think, looked at me like, how are we ever going to get that many candles onto, onto a cake? That's going to be a lot of candles, Dad, through the eyes of a child, right? The truth is that no other birth in human history has shaped the world as much as Jesus' birth. Not only a simple thing like a calendar, but many other things that you and, all, you and I experience every day were shaped by the birth of this child 2,000 years ago. In fact, one historian said, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for 20 centuries, 2,000 years. So here's a couple of examples of how Jesus has changed our way of life. Uh, one of the most obvious ones are these little people that are all around us at this church. If you spend five minutes here, you get to know some kids. Uh, when Jesus was doing his public ministry, he embraced kids in a way that was totally countercultural. And in the wake of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, uh, the culture started to shift largely through Christian influence towards thinking about kids as people. Not, not people that could be left alone or disregarded, but people who carried the image of God and had to be treated that way. So things like orphanages and the tradition of godparents and all these things largely came from the Christian faith following Jesus' example to honor kids as people, which we still do now. Uh, sometimes one too many kids around here, but we honor them. Jesus' compassion for the poor and the sick shaped Western culture in a radical way. When the church started to expand, one of the things that they did was whenever they put in a new uh, basilica or a new place of worship in a major town, they always had to build a place to care for the poor and the sick alongside of it. It was not an option. So wherever there would be a church, the poor and the sick would know that there was a place for them to be cared for and engaged with 
because of Jesus' concern for this. And just one more example has to do with the way that Jesus totally flipped the expectation of what you're supposed to do with your enemies, which as I reflected on Christmas Eve for this week seems a really important thing for us to remember. Jesus, instead of saying, love your friends and destroy your enemies, which was the predominant way of thinking, said, love your enemies and pray for them. And that created a tradition and a movement of people who saw grace and forgiveness and love as their primary approach to everyone. And that's a large part of what we're celebrating when we celebrate Jesus' birthday. The list goes on and on and on. But the truth is that when Jesus was born, everything changed. Everything changed, and that's because God's plan to save the whole world takes shape in the birth of this little baby. And so as we read the story of Jesus being born tonight, I'll read it for you. Think about this as the primary strategic plan of the God of the universe to save the whole world. And try to ask yourself, is this the plan that you would have come up with if you were tasked with that? Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. What if the whole world was in trouble and it was your job to save the world? How would you go about saving the world? Just imagine that for a second. What if the whole world was in trouble, which it might be, right? And it was your job to save the world. How would you go about saving the world? I tried to run a couple of scenarios just to get into thinking about the way that God comes to save the whole world. The first scenario is, what if you are a superhero 
or a Star Wars character. I promise you, I have not seen the movie and there will be no spoilers. Maybe you're a Star Wars character, right? Yeah, you are a Star Wars character. Fantastic. Then it'll be easy for you to answer this. What if you're a superhero or a Star Wars character? How do you go about saving the world? It's pretty easy, right? You have to find some of your other superhero friends, and you have to get their powers aligned with your powers, and then you have to figure out where the evil is and fight it. Right? That's how you save the world if you're a superhero. Now, if you're a Star Wars character, which we happen to have one here today, which is very lucky. If you're a Star Wars character, you have to remember that the Force is still out there. It is out there, right? Anybody seen the movie? Everyone is so silent about this movie. Have you noticed this? It's like you will be cast out of our family if you say anything about the movie, and I haven't seen it yet. I promise I won't ruin it. You have to get in touch with the force, some, some kind of universal force that's out there. You've got to get in touch with it and join it and find out what it's going to do and use your will and your ability to fix whatever's wrong with the universe. That's how you fix the world. That's how you save the world if you're a superhero or a Star Wars character. Now, if you're a politician, dangerous territory, I know, I'm, and it's Christmas, so we're going to be fine. Just hang with me for 30 seconds. If you're a politician, you probably try to change the world by building a coalition of people, right? Coalitions save everything, don't they? Coalition of nations, coalition of leaders. You need a coalition, and they're going to work together. Or you're going to build a really big wall and protect us from everybody else. Or you're going to spend a lot more money to fix the things that are broken. Or you're going to spend a lot less money to fix the things that are broken. Or you're going to change the laws in order for the world to be different. Or on and on and on, right? Politicians, are, they're proposing to us ways in which they would love to fix and save the world, aren't they? Now, if you're a wealthy person, you might say, I'm going to use my financial resources to create new markets and new jobs and new employment opportunities so that people can be risen out of poverty and join the middle class and the world will be saved that way. Right? Or you might be sitting there thinking, I'm really just an average person who has no business trying to save the world and your question is way above my pay grade. Now, what if you're the God of the universe? What if you're the God of the universe? How do you go about saving the world then? Would you force people to change? Would you force nations to do what you want them to do? Would you use natural disasters to reshape the globe? Would you start over and just make a new world that behaves more like the one you thought you created? The Christmas story of the birth of Jesus reveals how the God of the universe decided to save the world. That's what the story is about. And it helps us understand God in a completely new way on Christmas. God doesn't decide to save the world by utilizing superpowers or political influence or financial wealth, does he? In fact, God decides to save the world by becoming one of us. God decides to save the world by becoming one of us. God has faced the fear and the pain and the uncertainty that every one of us has faced. God has also experienced the friendship and love and joy that we experience as being human beings. Now, when Jesus was trying to explain the significance of his own birth, 
to some of the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. Here's one way he put it in John chapter 3. Jesus was saying this. He said, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. A couple of weeks ago, uh, one of our leaders, Leland Eliason, was speaking up here. And one of his points in his sermon was to describe the kind of political and social chaos that was happening when Jesus was born. That was really moving to me. And I thought more about it. And what Leland said that day with some emotion in his own voice was that in the midst of all this anger and chaos and people killing each other and political forces trying to dominate each other, the best thing the God of the universe as a dad could think to do was to send his son right into the midst of that chaos. Now, if you've ever been a parent or had kids around, the idea of sending something vulnerable into the midst of chaos is not something parents do. You're protecting them from chaos and danger, right? But God knows the only way for the world to be saved is not for some superhero to come and save us or for some political strategy to save us or for some great wealth to save us, but to become one of us and to come right next to us and look us in the eye and say, listen, I know what it's like. I know that this is hard. I know that you're afraid. I know you've made mistakes, but I love you, and I'm not trying to have power over you. I'm trying to convince you of how much I love you by putting myself in the most vulnerable position I can be in and standing beside you and then even giving my life up for you. And so you see, when we celebrate Christmas Eve... What we're celebrating in part is the Jesus of a guy, a birthday cake with a whole lot of candles. But we're also celebrating this unbelievable, miraculous event where we learned that the God of the universe was willing to become as vulnerable as is possible in order to convince us of his love for us. God could have saved the world any way he wanted, but he chose to save the world by becoming one of us. And so this Christmas Eve, hear this invitation from God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. God is saying, I love you, and I've done everything to convince you of that. I will never force you to love me back, but I invite you to enter into the life that I have in mind for you and for the world that I created and to be part of recreating and restoring my dream for what it's like to be human and live on this earth. And that's what we get to join God in. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. We acknowledge that you are the Son of God. That you came, that you became one of us, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. That you live now, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding and praying and reaching out to us inviting us to love you. Jesus, on this silent night in 2015, we give you praise and glory and honor for who you are and for what you've done for us. 
in your name we pray. Amen.